I think as the industry becomes more and more competitive and as products go to market quicker and people look for that first mover advantage within the market, it's critical that they use a solution that eliminates those silos and removes the complexities to electromechanical design. Welcome back to another episode of Next Generation Design. I'm your host, Jennifer Piper. Today, we're here to talk about the medical device industry and the trends influencing how those devices are being designed. Helping us explore this topic today are my guests, Nick Dahman, Jim Thompson, and Ryan Bauer. Nick, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I graduated from Wright State University with a bachelor's degree in marketing and public relations. So prior industry experience includes being product marketing manager for cybersecurity products in aerospace and defense, as well as holding some product leadership responsibilities within the fiber optic communications industry. I joined Siemens about two years ago as senior marketing coordinator for NX Design Product Marketing. And so I've worked on a medical device campaign, which is what we'll be discussing somewhat today. And then I've also worked on an electronics and semiconductor campaign. Jim, why don't we turn to you? I've been in the engineering software business for the bulk of my career, actually 30 years, 20 plus of those with Siemens. For the last 15 years with Siemens, I've been focused on the medical device and pharmaceutical industries. My current role is I'm in our industry strategy group and responsible for our global strategy across all of our product lines for the medical device and pharmaceutical industries. As I said, spending most of my career in the uh, engineering software business, I did do a little bit of engineering work as a mechanical engineer, but my degrees are in uh, mechanical engineer, mechanical engineering, worked for GE for a little while, and then I went back to school and got a PhD uh, also in mechanical engineering, although with a software focus on artificial intelligence. Okay, great. Thank you. And Ryan, can you tell us a bit about your professional background as well? Yeah, sure. So I'm a new guy here with uh, Siemens joined within the last year. Over the course of my career, I've been working in R&D, starting in automotive and telecom, and then the last 13 years or so in the medical device industry, leading R&D groups. Through that process of launching medical devices and, and building organizations, there's a lot of opportunity in this industry for better um, engineering excellence and, and optimization of our processes and saw this opportunity of Siemens to influence that through the you know maturation of our software solutions to match industry needs. My background, like Jim, started in uh, mechanical engineering, and then I did my master's in, in product development as well. And so, really been focusing on R&D my entire career and, and working in the software field now. Great to have you all with us today. I'd like to start by talking about the trends you're all currently seeing in the medical device industry. Nick, let's start with you. So I think there are three main trends that we're seeing. Uh, number one is an aging population. Number two would be globalized operations affecting all functions of organizations. And then the third one would be regulatory and compliance challenges and issues. So I think the with regards to the first one, we're seeing an aging and growing global population. And we're also seeing regions that have the least ability to pay that have the same chronic disease patterns as we are seeing in more wealthy countries. 
So to capture this growth, medical device companies or firms are globalizing some of their operations across the entire enterprise. We're also seeing increased personalization, and this includes patient-specific structures. And it drives a need for CAD models that conform to specific patient anatomical structures. And it requires existing structures to be scanned into 3D, and that model can be built around them. When it comes to regulations, the requirement is that all medical tools and processes must be validated, including the software used to design and manufacture medical devices. So using multiple software systems for design, validation and manufacturing means that you'll run into more delays, you'll increase your expenses, ensuring that you're meeting regulatory compliance. So it sounds like a single software solution is a valuable investment on many levels. As operations are becoming more globalized, I'm curious about what we're seeing from a global perspective. Jim, can you elaborate on this further? The way that these trends are going to play out vary a little bit around the world. Of course, in the U.S., the U.S. spends a tremendous amount of money on healthcare. I think that's going to continue on into the future, although there's you know ever-increasing pressure to reduce healthcare costs. And I think the use of technology and more personalized solutions, you know, better connected care solutions have a dual benefit in countries like the U.S., where we're actually looking for not only improved, you know, patient outcomes and healthcare benefits, but also reduced cost. And so technology has a role to play there in the way that it often does as being both an improvement as well as a, a driver for cost reduction. But the way it's going to play out in other parts of the world is maybe going to be a little bit differently. In particular, I think about Asia Pacific and China. For example, in China, one of the big problems they have there is just a massive shortage of trained medical professionals you know, versus the demand that they have across their very large population, which, like many populations around the world, is getting older and has the same kind of chronic disease patterns as we see in, in Western countries like the U.S. and Europe. So the way it's going to play out there, I think, is a little differently. You know, they don't have, let's say, the same, you know, percent of GDP spend on healthcare, but but they have similar needs. And again, I think some of these technological approaches are going to be a great fit there in the future for them to address the needs for, let's say, more efficient delivery of healthcare goods and services, maybe in a more personalized way, maybe more home care, maybe more you know remote care over the network and over computers to do diagnosis and interaction with patients. Technologies enabling remote care have definitely proven valuable through the COVID-19 outbreak, so it makes sense that we'll see demand for that type of technology on the rise. Ryan, what trends are you seeing? We're going to continue to see this more and more um, decentralized care, increased home use devices, and technology is also enabling, you know, contextualized individual therapy. The medical device industry is risk averse for good reasons. And so these, as these technologies come into play in this industry, we have to do it in a way that's very controlled and meets regulatory requirements and scrutiny that's ever increasing in, in all markets. 
and including markets you may not think are very challenging from a regulatory standpoint, it turns out many of them are, and they're becoming much more harmonized in their approach to this uh, technology integration. And so what types of trends are you all seeing in the medical equipment area? I know it's a bit different than just the medical devices in general. Nick, I'll start with you. I think the electrical and electronic content and medical devices is increasing. So this can create challenges, packaging challenges, such as trying to fit in batteries, high voltage wiring and sensors. And so not only do companies have to worry about fitting these components in, they have to be able to manage the complexities of heat generation within the device itself due to some of the internal electrical components. So I, th- I think that's where disjointed mechanical and electrical design systems come into play. And I think that's one of the things that Siemens does well is mending that gap between those two disciplines. So we, we help with eliminating those silos and then providing a better way to view product traceability or information traceability and visibility of impact to changes when teams are working together. So I think there's, that's one of the major things when it comes to product complexity. I'll just expand on what Nick was saying and maybe tie it back into some of these global trends that we referenced, which, as Nick was saying, a lot more you know, electronics and, and, of course, software content to make devices you know, smart and network connected where it's applicable and, and possible. And in doing that, particularly as, as you you know, go back to what I was saying about, you know, different kinds of scenarios in the U.S. and Western countries versus some of the maybe Asia Pacific countries or even even third world countries that we need different, let's say, cost and uh, healthcare benefit value points. And so I think what that's going to lead to and in fact already has led to is this idea of creating, you know, product platforms in which maybe you have a more fully featured, more capable offering more expensive offering for countries and markets that can afford it, but maybe more, uh, you know, more of a trimmed down basic device for other geographies and other countries in the world. So you, you have that challenge of both, you know, I would say competing against best of breed in, in the richer countries, but yet also helping solve very wide scale you know, healthcare delivery problems and addressing the needs of the patients in some other countries around the world. And, and I think, you know, a platform-based approach is probably the only way to be able to do that and scale. So we're talking about platforms with the flexibility to meet the needs of the medical industry in varying economic circumstances. Ryan, how do those needs factor into the design process? Throughout the design process, there's a real need for best-of-breed, highly evolved tools to coordinate with each other. So not only in the exchange of data, but in the exchange of decisions and the traceability of that decision through the design process. And that's part of the the effect of this technology and complexity integration on the, on the products today and meeting the needs for you know design review and, and regulatory requirements for that type of activity. How is Siemens Digital Industry Software addressing some of these trends and some of the challenges that we're seeing in the industry? One of the areas that I'd like to cite first, you know, has to do with our ability to accept personalized data and information. 
And one specific way in which we do that that's rather innovative, and this this relates to, you know, particularly to patient-specific implants or planning patient-specific surgical procedures. And what we've done is we've extended our NX platform to be able to accept as input what is often referred to as faceted data or information that's in a much more organic shape and form, and then use that data as input to either drive the design of medical products or medical implants, or merge that information as a design input to develop, let's say, traditionally engineered devices or implants that are more feature-based, traditional mechanical design processes. But I think that's that's one example of where we've really pushed our technology to be much more accommodating to, in the end, let's say many medical devices, you know, either come in contact with the human body or could be implanted in the human body. And, and of course, the, the shapes and variations of the human body uh, lead to the need for a wide variety of input of this complex, you know, information about the shape and size and fit, if you will, of devices. Yeah, I like the joke. There's no rectangular structures in the human body. <laughs> when you're doing med device development, there's a, there's a term called um, validation-driven design. And by validation, I mean the medical device term for validation, which is really around user needs. And that's where that rectangular joke comes in play. When you... Jim's talking about working with anatomical structures and, and you know, when we're doing design, we, we develop anatomical libraries, right, that we can ultimately use as for our design validation and digital evidence support of a wide range of anatomies, much more so than you can usually test in, in real life. So that's the anatomical side of it. And then there's the usability validation side, which is really you have to prove that your device works for your, your user needs. And when you can, in many cases, you have to develop products that are that are working with the human form, and they're not, they're going to be very organic in shape and, and perhaps difficult to model. And industrial design comes into play quite a bit into that too. And so the, we're making that all work together for the user. There's been a lot of advances in how our software solutions can really realize the needed shapes and validate against the generate the validation evidence that's required to prove out that device. The need for customization and personalization sounds like it's growing rapidly. Jim, can you tell us how technology is responding to this trend? You know, the topic we've been talking about here, you know, is sometimes referred to as precision medicine. And, you know, it's one of these situations, I think, where, you know, there, there are these longstanding needs from the healthcare world from needs of patients, needs of uh, you know doctors and surgeons, and, and that the technology is maturing in in several different ways to really match those needs. And there, there, I think there's a couple of examples of that. One, you know, as we've been talking about the modeling and adaptation of medical devices to specific you know patient anatomy and anatomical structures. Well, f fortunately, in the past 10 years or so, 
additive manufacturing technology has really matured significantly. And the both the cost for additive manufacturing as well as the material availability for uh, 3D printing, you know, components and devices has matured uh, very, very quickly. And so, whereas maybe, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, the idea of a patient-specific implant or a patient-specific procedure that required the manufacturer of a device of a lot size of one was just too expensive. You know, th- these days that's both technologically and economically possible because of the advances in additive manufacturing. And of course, in our tools and our tool suite, we've really streamlined the end-to-end tool chain that uh, is necessary for both design input of these anatomical structures and then ultimately the manufacturing of 3D printed devices or components. And, and so that's really, I think, both an example of where we've, you know, taken evolution in technology and matched that quite well with the needs of the industry. With advances in miniaturization of electronics and the ease with which electronics, you know, can be added to a variety of different devices and, and uh, wireless network communication you know, this, this all kind of interplays with each other in, in the ability to deliver these connected care solutions. With the speed of this advancement in technology, you'd think more and more companies would be recognizing the potential. Are you seeing like a huge majority of companies moving to 3D printing and additive manufacturing? Or is it more you know, like kind of one-offs or startup more type companies that you're seeing the additive manufacturing increase? Some of the smaller startup companies are trying to do some more innovative things with additive manufacturing, you know, maybe even introducing new, new business models associated with that. But we do see widespread use of additive manufacturing in healthcare. And I think one, one of the reasons why I think there's a lot of openness to it is there is widespread use of additive manufacturing even in a healthcare delivery environment. So not so much to produce a traditional medical device, but actually to 3D print a copy, if you will, of a human anatomy. Like, for example, if there's a tumor or a complex surgery that needs to take place, there is fairly widespread use of 3D printing in hospitals to reproduce the human anatomy so that surgeons can actually pre-plan the surgery by getting a representative view of the human anatomy that they're dealing with. And, And so I think just in general, 3D printing and the idea behind 3D printing and personalized shapes is more widely accepted as, as a result of that. And so, so a lot of medical device companies are really trying to figure out you know, where 3D printing fits as a technology for them, whether it's for, you know, one-of-a-kind personalized devices or maybe even just a, uh, a technology that they can use for low-volume parts or, or components that, you know, dramatically reduces the uh, time and expense for tooling. The medical industry seems like the perfect fit for, you know, products that are being 3D printed. The potential there is is huge, right? And I think a lot of companies are just beginning to realize how mature the end-to-end additive design and manufacturing chain is and where they can really apply it. In my experience during development, we've always been looking at those opportunities and where it fits in the best. 
the use of not just the, the tools for generating the, the geometry, but in combination with simulation and looking at how to generate the design for, for optimal solutions is really an area that's of interest and in growing. I've seen examples now within Siemens of uh, where we're really pushing the boundaries there that would have been very directly applicable for medical device solutions and really provide a performance, cost, time to market benefits for many medical devices. Is the increased use of additive manufacturing having an effect on costs? I think 3D printer costs are declining. There's more materials available there. And then the software is becoming more and more industrialized. So I think, you know, the medical device industry, they have more options and it's not limited to the med device industry. It's universally uh, accepted. Yeah, even materials that are created for skin contact or biocompatibility rated that you can print right in your office for early studies. And, you know, it's coming along quickly. So now I'm just going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the next generation design capabilities. I know that there's been a lot of buzz around things like convergent modeling and generative design and electromechanical design. And how do these technologies fit going forward in the medical device industry? I can uh, speak specifically, you know, about convergent modeling. So um, I, th- I think convergent modeling is a great example of the industrialization and, and the further maturity of 3D modeling tools to accommodate both organic shapes as well as traditional, more feature-based, uh, regular, you know, shapes. And, you know, the ability to combine these two worlds together of organic shapes as, as well as you know, engineering features and functions. And, and then as well to provide that those shapes as input, as, as Ryan was just mentioning, to analysis capabilities to be able to optimize shapes for you know, heat transfer or you know, strains and stresses and things like that. You know, re- really provide a very unique tool set for for companies to ultimately drive both an optimal design, but also in, in a lot of cases, you know, possibly the lowest cost design. If you think then about three D printing these shapes with a minimum amount of material, so it's a, a very very rich environment from an engineering standpoint to really do design optimization. And at the end of the day, what we're talking about is productivity, right? So if I look at what I've seen from where, where the design engineers are spending a lot of their time and it seems inefficient, that's when they're dealing with this type of data coming in, right? And data, point cloud or facet data, and trying to work with that into their model. You also spend a lot of time working with translations from industrial design. So you have a, oftentimes something developed in a, in a tool that's, very complex, not necessarily designed with manufacturability in mind. And you have to work with that to make it manufacturable and adjustments to surfaces and a lot of work. And it's just a productivity drag as you work with that. And there's capabilities now in our solutions to really realize those shapes in in a much quicker manner to get realized both the, you know, pulling the anatomical information is the industrial design information and, and achieve the geometry that you're so it's, it's this massive productivity gain that definitely has to tie in with integration right 
when you're spending a lot of time and losing productivity, exchanging information back and forth and trying to make sure you identify both electrical and mechanical uh, design constraints and that you have effective communications without, you know, either geometry collisions or, you know, airflow or heat flow concerns. When you can work with the tools that natively integrate with each other and exchange that information and the decision information, as well as the um, ability to catalog that those review decisions is a huge boon for both productivity and, and regulatory compliance. I think when it comes to productivity enhancements and reducing costs, I think the the Siemens portfolio really addresses that aspect of product design. And I think as the industry becomes more and more competitive and as products go to market quicker and people look for that first mover advantage within the market, it's critical that they use a solution that eliminates those silos and removes the complexities to electromechanical design. So I don't know if we talked really about the challenges of integrating electronics into medical devices, but why is this so important for customers to utilize the next generation design capabilities here in this area? One of the big challenges with integrating electrical design has historically been the use of very different tool sets between mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, and then, of course, you know, commonly with you know, electrical and electronics comes software. And over time, there's really been evolution of best-of-breed environments in which mechanical engineers work in a different environment than electrical engineers and software guys work yet again in a different environment. And so, you know, we've been working in Siemens to really pull these different design environments as, as well as the simulation environments together so that in the end, you can identify and work out issues and problems that cross between the disciplines between electrical, mechanical, and software earlier in the product development process, and then therefore end up with a, a better design because uh, you, you've been able to maybe work out issues earlier in the product development process, as well as then, you know, have more time to focus on optimizing and improving the design within your own, own discipline because you're not spending time going back and, and reworking due to unforeseen issues and problems. So I think that's really where, where some of the big benefits come in with this integrated design approach is just being able to uh, more easily pull together the cross-disciplinary design information and see it, simulate it, and then work out the, the problems and issues. You know, one example of an issue that rises there is thermal issues. And when you need to work out those those issues between the electrical and mechanical, you need to exchange the information at a, a much finer level of detail in order to get an accurate model for your simulation and, and development. So there's many tools will claim to have uh, really good interoperability between electromechanical design and there's, you know, IDX format out there, which is useful method to pass back information. But that type of integration is not implemented equally among a lot of EDA vendors. So, you know, when you're, for example, you're talking about thermal stuff, you're looking for your PCV, your copper, your flex circuit items, other thermal vias, that type of information you want, maybe even limited in other tools. And with the Siemens integration approach, you can really get down to that specific level of detail to have a very accurate 
digital twin and an exchange of information between the teams for accurate modeling and then more successful design. What do you see as the future of the medical device industry, say, in the next, you know, three to five years out? I think the increased demand for complex and customized products that involve mechanical and electronic and software systems increases the need for an integrated approach and a multidisciplinary approach to product design. So we've touched on the MCAD and ECAD piece and how critical it is to integrate those disciplines. So I think that'll be huge going forward, and it already is today. And then I think you'll see more of the simulation-driven design, which we've touched on a little bit, and then um, really getting into more of the multidisciplinary design with the Siemens solution, I, I think is really going to benefit the medical device industry going forward. One detail that I think is important is probably more of a future topic, and and this relates to simulation-driven design and interdisciplinary design, is, you know, we've been talking about it mostly in the context of product development, but there's there's also a a move afoot and interestingly driven by the regulators, particularly the regulators in the U.S., to see more use of simulation technology in the validation of medical devices. And this would be in lieu of or in addition to clinical trials. So one of the big expenses and one of the big reasons why medical devices are so expensive is that uh, oftentimes human clinical trials or animal clinical trials have to be performed with the devices to validate them. And the FDA is essentially asking the industry is, hey, why, why can't more simulation technology be used to inform the clinical trials that are done on humans or animals and maybe reduce the number or the the scope of of those trials because the simulation results are understood well enough that the the actual physical testing that's done is is really just validating the simulation work that's already been completed. You know, very similar to what we see already being done in more mature industries like automotive and aerospace, in which, you know, still, you know, crash testing is done, for example, in the automotive industry, but it's really to uh, validate and prove that the simulation uh, work that's been done in advance is is accurate. So I, I think what we see is the regulators challenging the industry to say, hey, why, why can't the medical device industry take advantage of this advanced technology like other industries has to... Uh, help accelerate ultimately the the entire development cycle and delivery of uh, improved products to the medical populations who who need them. I think that's going to be a really big deal. And it's just a big expense and a big timeline impact on on launching products. The only other thing I think to add would be the future trend. There's, I would expect less tolerance on companies for these inefficiencies in their development process. So there's medical device companies are being pushed like everyone else to be more cost-effective and develop a faster time to market. And when you have inefficiencies during development where you're, you're really struggling with your timeline, either because of inefficiency of, of data exchange between tools or groups within your organization, or like Jim was touching on with the clinical aspect of it, which is, you know, the proof there is only increasing, requirements for proof are only increasing through regulations. And so we have to be smarter in how we approach that in order to be cost effective and, and quick to market. 
It's been great having you all here today and learning more about the trends guiding us towards the future of the medical device industry. Before we wrap up today, how can listeners connect with you? My name, Jim Thompson, is a common one. So I am, (laughs) let's say, james.b.thompson at Siemens.com from an email standpoint. Or if you go looking for me, you know, just look for James B. Thompson out there on LinkedIn. Okay, great. Thanks, Jim. And how about you, Ryan? Yeah, LinkedIn is, is good. We also have for the audience our NX Design community, which is online that you could also visit for conversations surrounding some of the technology that we've talked about today. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Piper, and this has been Next Generation Design.